The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Other Wrestling Show. My name is Joel and I'm here with Mike and we are going to review and react to the AEW Revolution pay-per-view which took place last night, March 7th. And uh, we're just going to jump right into the action, starting with the main event, the exploding barbed wire death match. Mike, what are your initial thoughts on this match, the post-match, everything that went down around it? And uh, just uh, give us the rundown. Joel, I want to talk about the match itself. I want to talk about the moment we were getting after the match, but we can't talk about this without talking about what happened right before the show went off the air. And if you're living under a rock, that explosion was pathetic. And I've kept, I I literally went to bed last night upset because I knew that that was going to be the dominating topic after a almost perfect pay-per-view in my eyes. But Joel, the... (laughs) The bad explosion at the end. Something must have gone wrong. That could not have been what they planned in production to say this is going to get this moment over. Yeah, that clearly was not the plan. And honestly, I don't care. I really don't. I mean, I obviously I would have liked it to look more convincing. Um, And, you know, maybe this is just me being a, a bit of a Pollyanna here, but I... I feel like I'm pot committed with pro wrestling. Like (laughs) I have decided to buy into all of the crap. Like I went into this match knowing that John Moxley is probably going on paternity leave soon. And so he's not going to win. And that this is, you know, a way to send him off so he can be away for a while and then come back and make a triumphant return. And I feel like as a fan, when you're engaged in what's going on in real life and you're engaged in what's going on in wrestling storylines, there are going to be times where you just kind of have to accept something that happens on the screen in front of you and play your part to be okay with it. Uh, Obviously, I think it could have gone down better. Uh, I think the real uh, victim in this situation is Eddie Kingston because Mm -hmm. like, he's the one who had to sell a non explosion (laughs) that he also didn't see. So like he's out there in the ring and he has no clue, no clue whatsoever that this huge explosion that he was, you know, sacrificing his body to protect John Moxley from, you know, went over like a wet fart in church. So (laughs) it, it just, I feel bad for him feel bad for Tony and John Moxley and Kenny Omega, you know, everyone who was involved in what was a really great, really compelling match. But, you know, I don't think that this post-match kerfuffle uh, should taint the overall experience of what was an excellent pay-per-view or even take away from what was a really brutal and devastating and incredible match. Uh, I, I just... Yeah, I don't know. That's how I feel about it. I've I've thought about it since last night. I wasn't upset uh, going to bed. I wasn't, you know, I was a little bit disappointed that it wasn't cooler. But, you know, we got so much out of that show. Like, it it does not affect my grade at all whatsoever. 
Yeah, it, it doesn't affect my grade of the show. And, and I will, I'll say one more thing before we actually talk about the match itself. It, if this happened in the other wrestling company, we would have to talk about it. We'd have to, you know, we'd be criticizing it. So I think it's fair to say it didn't go off right. It was bad. Um, obviously, we would have liked it to be better. But I think they take their lumps, you know, this... These are veteran wrestlers, veteran wrestling promoter, well, fan, Tony. But um, they take their lumps. They're going to get made fun of. But I bet on Wednesday they come out and they remind us they're the, they're the best in the business. So I don't see this being a real long-term uh, issue. I do think it goes, once again, that one thing they're missing right now is the experience to adapt on the fly. We saw that with the Sammy-Matt Hardy match at All Out that someone should have stepped in and changed what was happening in that moment. And I think they very, someone could have stepped up in that moment as well to say, okay, this did not go well. Let's improvise it. And you kind of saw with the Moxley post-match promo, which I don't know if you saw that Joel, but he basically joked that uh, Omega is a tough son of a bitch, but he, (laughs) he made a dud of an explosive ring. And then Tony doubled down on that in the, the media scrum afterwards saying that, Omega's this evil genius and he couldn't design the ring right. So I I think if they just, they came up with something a little faster, had a ref come out and check on them to tell them, Hey, this went, we got to switch it up. We're improving here. And I think that just comes with experience as a, as a promoter, having the book and being in gorilla. And I think, I think they'll get better at that. But Joel, the, the, the match itself was incredible. I was scared the whole time. I think the spot of the match was the exploding barbed wire bat to Moxley's face. Um, what what were your initial thoughts on the insanity of the exploding barbed wire death match? I, I my takeaway was tension. I was tense watching the entire match, and it's you know I'm I'm not a huge hardcore wrestling guy. I enjoy it. I think when it makes sense as part of a feud, uh, it, it can be a really good storytelling device. But it's not something that I'm just, you know, jazzed to watch on a day in day out basis. It's not the style of wrestling that I prefer. I much prefer what we saw, which we'll talk about later from the women's championship match. That is my kind of pro wrestling right there. Um, But this match was really good. And I felt invested, even though in the back of my mind, I knew what the outcome of the match was going to be. And the early stages of the match before anyone had gone into the ropes before any of the landmines had been triggered was to me, you know, the best part of the match and kudos to, to Moxley for selling the hell out of that first throw into the ropes with the explosion. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought it was really, really good. And, and it didn't then immediately happen again. So it's like we got a taste of what this is going to be. And then there was some more wrestling that took place. And then when Moxley eventually turned the tables and bounced Kenny off of the ropes and then hit him with that massive front drop kick and -hmm. kicked him back into the ropes and we got the back-to-back explosions. I mean, that was a really good spot and it really sold the stakes of this match, how violent it was, how dangerous it was. And uh, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought the performers did a great job. Um, I, I thought things kind of started to go downhill once the Good Brothers got involved because it was once again nodding to the fact that we we knew where this was going 
which kind of killed the tension for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it was a really great match and props to both guys. I, I will admit I didn't like lock in the way I thought I was just because there was so much uh, blood and violence going on. And, uh, and it was also, you know, getting late. So my attention mm-hmm. started to wander. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, what, you said your favorite spot, but like what really stood out to you from this match? What's your takeaway? And you know, what will be your reaction the next time we hear the phrase exploding barbed wire death match on AEW television? Oh man. Okay. Uh, first thing. Yeah. My, my favorite spot was the, the, the exploding bat to the face, but I also love the way that they protected the, uh, one winged angel by having Moxley purposely set off the explosions. I yeah, thought that, that was, was so creative. I thought that was one of the coolest moments we'll see in in a match in a long time because that ma- that move that move has never been kicked out of, and forcing an explosion Ome- Omega's face was the only way to do it. So um, I thought that was a really really cool thing they did there. And you know, when I I don't think we're gonna see one of these again for a long 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 time. It has nothing to do with the the botched explosion at the end. I think it more has, has to do with like how the hell in a cell used to be where only the most intense blood feuds get to that point. And I don't think we're going to have another story like this Omega Moxley feud anytime soon where they're going to resort to this type of match. So yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we're not going to have to be previewing exploding barbed wire death match, the pay-per-view uh, yeah. at which the exploding barbed wire death match happens every year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that yeah, this is, is something uh, that's put, like put the terminal the point of everything that's wrong with pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they can put this on the shelf for a while. And, you know, for me, you know, I'm going to remember how I felt seeing Kingston coming out, scrambling to try to get Moxley out of the ring and then him lying on him to protect him. Like that legit brought like goosebumps and tears to my eyes, man, because it was wonderful, especially with what they went through in the fall together. You know, you're not my friend. You betrayed me like for Eddie to be in the moment realizing my friend is in danger and I regret everything I did was beautiful was like absolute it sucks that the explosion didn't work. And I went from goosebumps and tears to tears of laughter but um i thought what they were trying to do there was something you don't see in wrestling and i I think it would have been a top five wrestling moment overall if the explosion went well yeah it it is really a shame that that was spoiled and that was the thing that was spoiled i don't think the match was spoiled i don't think the angle is spoiled it's just that moment between moxley and kingston that really got ruined by that explosion. That being said, I still think Kingston is, you know, positioned well to mm-hmm. rally the troops and go after Kenny Omega and his uh his heel faction. There's so, such an easy way to fix this too, Joel. You basically pull the Seth Rollins edge storyline when John Cena had the power to reinstate the authority. You have Omega do something horrible to Moxley on Wednesday. And have Kingston come and make the save. You're going to write Moxley off TV for a while anyways. You can make us not necessarily forget the Bosch explosion, but you can make us believe that Kingston's a babyface for real 
if you do it right on dynamite. Yeah, agreed. All right, Joel, I think we've talked about this enough. Uh, you want to move on to Sting Darby Allen versus Team Taz? So I, I before we get into that match, I want to oh, ask okay. you a question. Uh, oh. Because we had essentially four debuts tonight. We had okay. Sting making his in-ring debut. We had uh, Christian Cage uh, signing his AEW contract. We had Ethan Page, who was a surprise entrant in the ladder match. And we had Maki Ito making a surprise appearance on the uh, buy-in in the tag team match. So which of these debuts uh, made the biggest impression on you? Which one are you most excited about? I think you know exactly which one I'm going to mention. And uh, if you listen to our bonus episode, wrestling or wrestling histories, you would know that I am a Christian, Christian cage, Mark. I, we stand for Christian on this podcast and on this, the, our social media. So I, I was, I lost, I, Mm, man, I love Christian and he looks incredible for 47. I didn't watch the rumble, but when he came back at it, I watched all the clips, watched all the highlights. He still has it. I, I agree with Tony Khan. He is a genius. He's a wrestling genius. He, he looks much younger than 47, which I think will really help his legitimacy in AEW. Cause he doesn't look that old. Like he's not Jericho. Who's two years older than him. Like, like he looks like he's in his late thirties, early forties. So I think he has a lot left in the tank. I'm so excited that he's going to get a chance to go out on his own terms because seven years ago he had to retire due to concussions. And, you know, I think we've talked about this before, but his run with the world heavyweight championship after edge retired with Randy Orton in that summer is one of my favorite stretches of wrestling. Christian was such a slimy, smarmy, asshole here heel and it was some of the best work he's ever done randy orton's ever done that i've ever seen so stock up to christian cage here in AEW, and you knew that answer going in <laughs> i did i did uh so maybe maybe the more appropriate question is which of these do you think i'm most excited about uh maki ito yes maki right. ito yes um I I'm totally going to put her entrance music on my running playlist because <laughs> uh, I just, I can't get enough. She is incredible. I love her character. I love her performance in the ring. We'll talk about that match a little bit later on. Uh, but before we worked our way through the card, I just wanted to talk about those debuts briefly. And did you, did uh, you hear, did you see Ma how uh, Maki Ito's weekend went? Did you see this report? No, no, um, I didn't. So she wasn't advertised because she was competing in Japan on Saturday in the Princess Max Heart Tournament final for TJPW and then caught a flight to the U.S. It was such a time crunch that if she had any delay anywhere, she probably would not have made revolution. So props to her for wrestling in Japan on Saturday, red eyeing it a halfway around the world and competing in a pretty good match. Uh that very day yeah absolutely um I, I hope that we see a lot more of her in aew and more of the joshi wrestlers in general because 
I, I loved everything that we saw from the women's tournament and the Joshi bracket was to me, the highlight, uh, all of those matches were great. And, uh, I, I love these characters. We'll talk more about, um, Maki Ito and also Ryu Mizunami a little bit later on. Um, but for now, let's talk about the cinematic street fight, Darby Allen and Sting versus Team Taz, Brian Cage and Ricky Starks with some interference from Hook and Powerhouse Hobbs. <laughs> this was fun, man. Like, <laughs> um, you know, cinematic matches are becoming more of a uh, common thing in uh, wrestling now. You know, we've had we had the beginnings of it with some of the hardy compound stuff but i feel like this was one of the the best examples of it sting felt like an 80s slasher movie villain <laughs> throughout this thing like some of the shots they got in here were just beautiful with the lighting mm-hmm. um the the facial expressions and you know we knew I, I i feel like the majority of fans knew that this was gonna be a uh cinematic type match just because how how old <laughs> sting is but he looked great in the spots that he did have to work. And um, when when Darby Allen threw him the bat from like the third story, he went full like Kung Fu, you know, movie where he just starts beating down everyone. So I, I thought this I thought this was really fun. I, I don't think there's anything really negative to say about it. Um, it, it it's kind of exactly what I thought it was going to be. And I think everyone looked good throughout this match. Yeah, this is right up there with the Undertaker graveyard mm-hmm. match for me. I I love the aesthetic and you know, this Sting character is inspired by the movie The Crow. Um and this felt like the same kind of dark grungy revenge fantasy that was depicted in that movie and I love the combo makeup where half of Sting's mm-hmm. face was his traditional crow makeup. And then the other half was kind of Darby Allen inspired. It made him look even more intense and terrifying. And I just, this match was incredible and it it did. It felt like watching the climactic fight scene from a major motion picture. Great quality. I loved all of the camera tricks that they pulled and the spots were just insane uh mm-hmm. darby allen went through everything like yeah. if there was something for him to be thrown through or knocked through he went through it that that plate window that was set up <laughs> i mean i'm sure it was sugar glass because that's how you do that when you're doing stunts but still like that's still painful that still will cut into your skin it's just not gonna you know tear you up in the same way and then the coffin drop to hell um that, yeah what yeah what are we doing here like <laughs> Ian brian cage you're dead like what yep. happened um yep i loved everything about this match i loved all of the hoodlums that came out and you know were subsequently murdered by brian cage um I thought the involvement from powerhouse Hobbs and hook was really good. I just, I can't stop gushing about this. This might have been my favorite match of the night. Uh, Really great stuff. And I think seeing this lets us know that, you know, this is something that sting can do for several more years of, Mm -hmm. 
you know, being around, being involved on Dynamite, having these feuds, and then, you know, you don't get to face Sting in the ring, in the arena. You have to face him on his turf. And that means doing these cinematic style matches. And uh, I I really think this was a a home run for AEW. And for me, the highlight of the pay-per-view. Joel, when we saw Brian Cage at WrestleCon almost two years ago, uh, within a few weeks, did you expect he'd be freaking doing a cinematic match with fucking Sting? No, two years absolutely later, absolutely not. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's crazy to think that you know we get to see all of this, and it's such an awesome company to be a fan of, and you truly never know what you could possibly see in in these matches and you know we're going to get to another surprise in the next match but this was just such a pleasant experience uh and the lighting the dust everything they did to really bring that aesthetic home uh every detail was perfect i love this match yeah I like how you described it as an experience because that's exactly what I tweeted post-match. I'm like, what an experience. Like, this this is... <laughs> People always say, oh, wrestling's fake. It's entertainment. I'm like, yeah, because we get shit like this and it's awesome. Like, don't use the, the wrestling as just well, like, fake entertainment for me anymore. <laughs> like, the I thing I don't get regardless. is like, what the hell isn't fake in entertainment? Yeah, like, yeah, like Game of Thrones isn't fake. Yeah, you know... <laughs> dragons aren't real either we still enjoy seeing dragons on television Mm -hmm. you know oh you like video games did you know they're fake what (laughs) it's like the worst insult ever yeah yeah all right joel uh anything else here you want to move on to the face of the revolution ladder match Let's move on. We're going to have to start moving a little bit faster here pretty soon. Yeah, I think we will. I think we will. The, the you know, the, the big matches, you know, we were going to take a little more time. And we talked about my boy Christian. So honestly, we could end the pod now. Not before we talk about <laughs> my dude, Scorpio Sky, defeating Cody Rhodes, Penta, Lance Archer, Max Caster, and the debuting Ethan Page to win the face of the revolution ladder match. Grab that brass ring. This was incredible. Um, I love a ladder match. And Mm -hmm. you called it. Uh, I think, I don't remember if that was on air or off air, uh, but you said, you know, it's going to be Ethan Page. And uh, I was so excited. I know of him only by reputation, uh, Mm -hmm. but he just seems like he's someone who's going to fit in so perfectly in AEW. And uh, I'm excited that he's around. Yeah, I think we'll see when he gets a chance to uh, talk on the mic, Joel. I think you're going to have some very like Ricky Starks promo comparison where the dude just gets it. Like from what I've seen, from what I've watched, like this guy was meant to be a professional wrestler. So awesome to have another cage, uh, no page in the company. God, we have pages and cages everywhere. And then we got a Diamond Dallas page yeah i was about to say diamond dallas cage so um yeah but i dude this match was really fun um two things i think really stuck out to me max caster really i think overperformed my expectations and i thought he was one of the highlights and surprises of this match everywhere he was doing something 
um, you know, taking a big spot, getting involved in a big spot. Um, cause he seemed like the one who was kind of the odd fit, um, with all the other competitors, everyone else either was, you know, an established AEW veteran or in, uh, pages, uh, you know, an indie veteran caster, I thought was incredible here. Yeah, I think Max Caster and Anthony Bowens would have factored in in a big way to the casino tag team Royale, uh, except that Bowens is injured. And so Max Caster is having to be pushed as a singles competitor. Those two are both really, really good. And Max Caster, thankfully, is the more charismatic of the two of them. Mm -hmm. And so he's able to float on his own as a solo performer in a way that I don't know Anthony Bowens would be able to. Now, granted, I haven't heard him talk as much, so uh, maybe he maybe he's got it too. But Max Caster was really good in this match, and uh, he's good on the mic. I uh, Ooh, he's definitely jokes. not afraid to be a little bit edgy with his uh, his his raps, <laughs> and I know we've seen that before. Uh, I'm not going to repeat them on the pod, but holy crap, they were. <laughs> yeah, the, they were um, funny the blood on my hands like i'm governor cuomo is the one that sticks out to me um which uh, you know i mean it's a good time to be piling on uh (laughs) chris cuomo everybody everybody's getting their uh or uh, sorry andrew cuomo um got the wrong cuomo don't want to do that Um, Uh, regardless of party if you're if you're a douchebag we're gonna we're gonna make sure people you know recognize so um Uh, I really, I really liked Scorpio Sky getting the win here. I know he had that thing in the fall about wanting to get a title, wanting to add singles titles to his resume. And, you know, I look at the TNT belt like the IC belt, you know, used to be. It's the workers belt. It's the belt where they're going to put on a lot of matches week in, week out. And I think if Scorpio Sky walks away with the TNT title on Wednesday, he's the perfect guy for it because, you know, he can put on great matches week in, week out, week in, week out. And, you know, the dude deserves it. He's Absolutely. so awesome. I, you've been a, a Scorpio Sky uh, stockholder since way before AEW even was a a dream in um, Tony Khan's uh, brain there. So I'm sure you were stoked to see one of your guys come out on top tonight. Absolutely. And uh, this was the pick that I was the most nervous about in terms of of picking the card correctly. Uh, And I'd like to point out that I did pick the (laughs) entire card correctly for the second year in a row. Uh, Yes, yes. Revolution is my house. That is your your night, your your house. I'll dominate the other three uh, pay-per-views throughout the year, but you can have Revolution. I think I'm still high on cake for my birthday week. So that's why I wasn't making good picks this week. But yeah. Um, Joel, what was your favorite spot from this, uh, from the ladder match? Oh my gosh. So much to pick from. I I think um, the thing that really sits in my memory the most uh, wasn't even like a crazy ladder spot. It was Ethan Page uh, crucifix bombing Lance Archer. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he had it in him and he really <laughs> launched Lance like then there's no way if you're the person on top there's really no way to help out there like you're essentially dead weight and it's all on the person doing the throwing to get that distance and if he can do that to Lance Archer he can do it to anyone in the company and that's great because you need that for your finisher so uh Thrilled. I had two. 
to see that. And I think Ethan Page is someone that we're going to be talking about a lot mm-hmm. moving forward. Yep. I had two uh, spots here. The first was when Archer was like stuck in between the ladder and Ethan Page power bombs Scorpio Sky on top of that ladder. Uh, that that was just a cool looking spot. I've never seen something quite like that. And then uh, Penta killing Cody with a destroyer on the ladder. Propped oh up God. between the apron and the uh, the barrier. That was stiff. <laughs> and the, the spot that like really shocked me the most was when Scorpio Sky got knocked off the top rope through the ladder on the outside. Oh, yeah. Because I had forgotten the ladder was even there. Mm-hmm. And when he went over, I was like, oh, God, no. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that one really got me. And uh, I was I was pretty shocked by that. But. You know, and then I thought, well, great. He's just been taken out of the match. Like, there's no way he's going to win it now. And then the match just kept going and kept going and kept going. And I was like, wait, he can come in. He can be the one at the end to make the save. So I, I love that. Yeah, it, it was it was a really fun match. I It's a ladder match. So we got exactly what uh, I thought we should get. So let's let's move on. And, and Joel, big money match time. I think Indeed. we both picked Hangman Adam Page. Uh, this match was a little, maybe a little longer than maybe it should have been what I thought it would be. But what I liked about it is that there was a single singular focus on Adam Page's hands. And that's how Matt Hardy was able to stay competitive with a guy who is, frankly, stronger, faster, more agile, a better in-ring wrestler than Matt is at this point in his career. So I like that they found that that way to to keep this match competitive. And I thought Matt did a really good job of working over the hands, working over the fingers. At one point, I think he bit the fingers of Hangman yeah, More Bate. than once. Yeah. Um, and I like that it ended with Hangman Page celebrating with the Dark Order in the ring. Like, it, it made me smile. Like, he has his real friends and family. Yeah, it was a, it was a tough pay per view for the Dark Order. They were just getting blasted left and right in that uh, casino tag team royale. <laughs> so it was nice to see them kind of have a moment here with Adam Page. I don't think there's too much to talk about with this match, other yeah, than really. you know what you talked about. It was a good story. They did a good job of you know setting up the stakes. Um, I'm just glad the right person won, and uh, that's always Adam Page. So yes, yes. And he will uh, continue winning until he takes the title off of Kenny Omega. And Kenny Omega will keep winning until he loses the title to Hangman Page. Boom. <laughs> I booked the territory again. All right. All right. So next up was Miro and Kip Sabian uh, defeating the best friends, Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor edition. Uh, Chuck Taylor tapping out to the game over submission. Um this was a short match, not quite a squash, but the shortest match on the card at just under eight minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought this was a, a, a really perfectly set up match. It was all about Miro um, and I think planted the seed for Miro and Kip Sabian to split up down the road. <laughs> yeah, you um, think? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it wasn't a seed. Maybe it was a sapling. You know, it's it's already already uh, sprouted out of the ground and and will uh, continue to grow. Uh, but Miro just looked dominating in this match. And uh, I, I loved his selling when he was on the receiving end of 
Orange Cassidy's offense. Uh, I loved him staggering around, holding himself up by the ropes. Uh, but when he was on offense and just blasting people, it, it's, yeah. everything looked great. He, Some of the kicks he was nailing just... I was just about to say that. Me. He is such a big person and his legs are so big around. When he throws those really fast, hard kicks to the chest, it just looks like it would you know, collapse your rib cage and, you know, kill you on the spot. So uh, really good stuff from him. Yeah. I think the, him sacrificing Pinedel before to get the win is the biggest takeaway here. Like we've known for a while that this whole Miro Kip storyline was not really about Miro being his best man. It's about Miro being the best man and he's going to do whatever he can to prove he's the best man. So uh kip stand up for your lady dude like chivalry like he completely fucked her over there so um i do expect a breakup here in the near future but yeah miro looks unstoppable right now he he's running on a i think on a a a, a level we haven't seen since maybe his initial run in the other wrestling company um but yeah this is this is great well, he has a physique that leads me to believe he doesn't get to eat anything interesting at all. Brown uh, rice and salmon for yep. dinner, brunch, and breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Anyways. Yeah, probably like <laughs> um, seven times a day, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Joel. Why don't we move on here to the AEW Women's World Championship that saw Ukaro Shida defeat Ryo Mizunami. Did I do it? Almost. Almost. You got Rio's name right, but you, you botched Hikarushita. <sighs> it's fine. <laughs> it's, I'm not good with names. Um, but anywho, you have Bill you Simmons me, disease. It's fine. I do. I do. You asked me. <laughs> ew. <laughs> you asked me um, what I expected from this match in our preview show, and I think I got exactly what I wanted from this match. This match was physical, intense. And the near falls over the last, what, five minutes of this match were just left me on the edge of my seat. I, I enjoyed the hell out of this match. And I like how they were able to thread in the history here Yeah, without a lot of build. You know, the tournament final was on Wednesday. So we really had five minutes after that match and then the four minutes before this match to really set something other than the titles at stake. And I thought they did a good job with it. And commentary did a good job of emphasizing that throughout. The yeah. Season. I was going to mention commentary. I think this match benefited from the fact that these two competitors have a history and it's a history that most people, myself included, didn't know about going into this pay-per-view because when the announcers brought up that story of, you know, if you wrestled for a hundred years, you could never beat me. And how they've wrestled to a draw three times, but Sheeta had never gotten the win. Uh, it made for a more compelling match. And it also played into the story that they told in the ring with mm -hmm. Ryo Mizunami clearly in the latter part of the match being outclassed and just taking devastating hit after devastating hit and still getting back up, still kicking out that dogged determination to either win the match or force it to a time limit draw. And, you know, ultimately Sheeta getting that bugbear off her back, winning the match and retaining her title. Uh, who can beat Sheeta at this point? She is invincible. Jade Cargill. <laughs> wow. There's a, there's an idea. 
You're uh, building but, up a monster heel in the division in Jade. She just beat Cody uh, and Red Velvet. Like, we got her debut match out of the way. Now build her up for a contender. But, yeah, like, she she does beat in everyone. Um, so, yeah, there really is who, who should beat her. And I, I think if you really are invested in what Jade Cargill is, what she can be, she's a, a perfect person to maybe take the belt off of... Uh, uh, Sheeta at like double or nothing or something or maybe we'll get that Rio heel turn that we thought we were getting before the pandemic and it comes from that so I don't know man I, I love Sheeta and I love the matches she puts on but yeah she's she's run she's run out of contenders yeah uh, I think what you talked about on, on our preview about how this was going to be a hard-hitting strong style match definitely uh, came about and I was impressed by just how many different ways they came up with to hit each other really hard in the like chest and face area. It was, it was a brutal and violent match. Um, but also like the, one of the things I love about uh, Japanese wrestling is this whole like almost honor code that's in it. And the, and the, like they're smiling as they're hitting each other. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're asking for it. They're calling for the other person to like put it right here. Hit me as hard as you can. And I really like that bravado. And uh, I thought it was on full display in this match. I like that Rio wrestled the exact same way in this match that she did throughout the tournament. There was no policing of her character to make mm-hmm. it you know more palatable to a western audience this was everything that i wanted in this women's championship match and uh, i thought it was one of the best uh, women's championship matches that we've seen in the company and i feel like i say that a lot uh, <laughs> but it the just issue, keeps the, getting better the issue with the women's division has never been the quality of the matches it's just been who's available on the roster at a given time so um yeah the fact that this match was a i think a match of the night contender if you're comparing it to everything speaks of what we should expect from this division always so yeah so speaking of availability gotta figure that chris statlander is going to be coming back sometime in the near future uh she's been out for about a year so it's time and that's another person who i could see making a triumphant return and uh, winning the belt off of Sheeta. So um, lots of drama to come in the future, and I'm interested to see who is going to be facing off with next. She is a fighting champion, and uh, this was a great match. Yeah. Cool. Let's move on to the Casino Tag Team Battle Royal, and this was way, way longer than I expected. Um, they didn't really clarify that it was more of a traditional Rumble-type match with the minute-and-a-half countdown than the what we've seen from the casino battle room in the past, we have group of people coming at a time. So I, probably the first half of it, I, eh, I think the most memorable thing uh, was, well, the final four and then the QT Marshall Dustin uh, exchange. I thought that was really interesting where QT Marshall eliminated the gun club, right? Yep. And Dustin was like, what the hell? So then QT eliminated himself in frustration um seems like an end of the natural nightmares uh we also stand for qt marshall on this podcast so i'm excited to see where this leads him and then the final four of pack 
Phoenix, John Silver, and Jungle Boy. Dude, good for John Silver. John, yeah, John Silver. I'm, I got the right name, right? Johnny Hungy. <laughs> Johnny Hungy, yeah. Uh, good for him to be given that opportunity. Like, it shows the company really trusts him to put him in the finals with those four guys. Those three other guys. I'm going to correct you a little bit here. He earned that opportunity. I don't think okay. he was you know given I mean. anything. Yeah. Uh, no, I guess it's more of the company trusts him in that yeah. spot. Yeah. No, that's, I know what you're saying. I, I know what you're saying. What I wanted to say. Uh, yeah. But I, I thought this this four at the end made for some really compelling eliminations and uh, some really cool spots. Uh, another person that AEW puts their faith in on a regular basis who always delivers is jungle boy he was incredible in this final sequence and throughout the match in general uh i was a little worried even when it was down to a two-on-one situation i was like man death triangle might not pull this off and and that was another (laughs) one of my picks so i wanted to make sure that uh you know i stayed perfect at revolution i i just listened to the podcast you picked the good brothers oh did i I just yeah, I was listening to it beforehand. You picked the Good Brothers, not Pack and Phoenix. Okay, all right. So I'm not perfect, but not perfect. You still beat me this week, but not perfect. I I will give you the thumbs. I will give you props so wait, because who was TBD? I was I was you because the, the Good Brothers weren't listed in the match, so you were picking them as a TBD. But then right. you just said I'm taking. But Pack who and was Phoenix the TBD? Always, who ended up actually being the TBD? I don't even know because like they changed up the lineup so much. Like, um, like Top Flight had to miss the match because one of the pros is injured. So I don't even know who technically was the TBD. But um, I remember us saying, "Should I just give you the Good Brothers?" He's like, no, 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 I want the TBD. But it was, was not Packing um, Phoenix because they were always in the match. Was it Pretty Peter Avalon and Caesar Bononi? Were they the ones who ended up in it? That might have been originally it. announced because I know the Sidel yeah. brothers were. I know Bear Country was. I'm looking at the full lineup here, and mm-hmm. um, all the other ones I think were were already announced. So anyway, <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, but no, uh, Jungle Boy is a guy I want to. I man, I really like to see him get a some sort of title run. I think he's he's earned that for basically being one of their best workers night in and night out. Like jungle boy is fantastic. Maybe he needs to turn on uh, the Luchasaurus and go off on his own way. Cause I don't think there's, I think that's the only thing holding him back right now is that 300 million, 300 million year old dinosaur. Look at you trying to drive a wedge 65. Million, I am. And he doesn't look 65? a day over 64. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I, I, when you get into the millions of years, does it really matter? Because it was a long fucking time ago. It matters to him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thought this was for Battle Royals Go. I thought it was fun. I thought it, it did exactly what we needed to do. And uh, Pack and Phoenix versus the Young Bucks is going to be incredible. Yeah, incredible. absolutely. <laughs> so speaking of those Young Bucks, uh, they had the opening match on the main pay-per-view card taking mm-hmm. on the Inner Circle. They defeated Chris Jericho and MJF and retained their titles. And uh, after the match, later on during the show, we got a hint from from MJF that he thinks a change is needed in the Inner Circle. <laughs> and uh, they're going to have a war council on Wednesday. This might be the most significant thing that came out of this match. Uh, what did you think of the match itself? 
it, it was way better than I thought it would be. And, and and we don't hide from the fact that we don't think Jericho can really get it done in the ring anymore. He was really good in this match, and he was really important to setting up a lot of the spots. MJF and the Young Bucks did a lot of the what you normally would see in AEW, but I thought that Jericho's timing on a lot of stuff was perfect. Um, and I also think, you know, he took a, a lion salt that he then got super kicked on. So I thought that was, that was a good spot from them. So this, I thought this match was better than I thought it would be because we were both pretty down on, on this matchup going into the pay-per-view. So not necessarily the match I would kick off the show with, but once you see the card in general, it makes sense for the placement. Um, but yeah, I, 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 like you said, I think the most significant thing is the war console council they're doing on Wednesday and it 100% seems MJF is going to pull a Padme and do a vote of no confidence on Jericho here. Yeah. He's going to do exactly what he said he wasn't going to do. And, uh, in typical MJF fashion, it's probably going to work out pretty well for him in the short term and pretty poor for him in the long term. Well, because we're going to get a reunification of the face sex gods coming back to take MJF out. I hope not. I don't want that for Sammy. <laughs> Did you see Sammy uh, tweeting last night, though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy was sipping some tea um, watching Revolution. So good for him. Anything else about this, Joel, before we get to the final match of our breakdown? Yeah, so let's talk about the buy-in. We had Dr. Britt Baker and Rebel take on Riho and Thunder Rosa. And before the match, there was some drama because uh, Rebel had a doctor's note and uh, was not able to compete. So she was replaced by Maki Ito, the cutest girl in the world, making her AEW debut on, uh, you know, main AEW television. And uh, I have to say, the... Kokeshi is my second favorite move behind the buckshot lariat. Like I, I mark out for the Kokeshi more than just about anything else. So is that the, uh, is that the headbutt? Yes. Okay. I wanted to make sure that I was thinking of the right move. It's so funny. Yes. Pioneered by uh, Tomawashi Honma in uh, new Japan pro wrestling. And uh, I love it. I, I just, it, it makes me laugh every time. And the whole, like I have a really hard head gimmick cracks me up. Uh, I just, she I, blocked I love... a punch with her head at one yes. point. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and I, I think that was Thunder Rosa who ended up, you know, really selling that and, you know, shaking her hand out afterwards. So, uh, it, it's, it's clever. It's different. Uh, I don't really care about the outcome of this match. Um, didn't matter to me at all. Uh, but Maki Ito being in AEW, being around, it's just super exciting. I know I gushed about it earlier. I'm gushing about yeah. it again, uh, but uh, she's fantastic. Yeah, she was my favorite part of the women's eliminated tournament. I thought that she was. Uh, I th- honestly thought she would have a, a longer run in the tournament, but they went with the established AEW Joshi's instead. But yeah, I think she has a a crazy bright future if she works AEW full time. You know, we haven't seen the Maki Ito is all elite, so I don't know if she has that full time contract yet, but. I think would be a smart move to to get her locked down. And uh yeah, I don't it was fine. It was fun. Uh they're setting up a big six women tag match for Dynamite this week. Um between the the sides that came out after the women's championship match, 
So we'll see a continuation of this this week. And Joel, anything else to to say about Revolution as a as a whole, or can we wrap I mean, this some bitch up? I, I just I think overall this was an A pay per view for me. Not quite an A plus, but an A pay per view. And you know if you're factoring in the end of the main event, the post match into how you grade all of the action that we saw over the course of like four hours on AEW. They make every pay-per-view count. And this show was all killer, no filler. I I loved the whole thing. And uh, I felt like I got my money's worth. I was entertained. So uh, that's uh, that's my takeaway. I mean, what do we usually consider the, the best AEW pay-per-view so far? Revolution 2020, right? Yeah. I'm I'm comparing the cards right now and honestly I I would take Revolution 20 Revolution 2021 over 2020. I yeah, think I agree. this was a a better card top to bottom. Um I think unfortunately people are going to remember the explosion botch. I think how they respond on being the elite and dynamite this week is huge because if they can turn this around and get the story back to what they wanted it to be. I think we're going to, I think fans will be a little more lenient on this event as time goes by. But in the moment, I still think this was a phenomenal pay-per-view phenomenal event. We saw some things that we'd never seen before. We saw an icon make his debut Christian cage. And you know, I'm happy with it. I'm happy with it. So yeah, I guess we can uh I guess we can get out of here guys. So I'm not going to do the whole the whole rundown Joel, so let's just say <laughs> goodbye and call it a day. Hey Adam Page, it's a good time to join the Dark Order. Join the Dark Order. Boom. Remember everybody, life's a work. Duck the clothesline and happy wrestling. Bye.